0: You know, when I was at the CIA, I was their senior expert, really, their on, uh, electromagnetic pulse, EMP. is the greatest threat, greatest single threat facing our civilization out of all the weapons of mass destruction and threats that we face. Uh, this has been so for many years, and it's getting to be a bigger and bigger and a worse threat because the technologies are getting more effective
1: And if you disagree with anything we talk about, you are a racist and no better than Hitler. What? Let's get started.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Electile Dysfunction Podcast with Ashton Cohen. I'm Ashton Cohen. Very pleased to be joined today by Dr. Peter Pry. Dr. Pry is an executive director of the Task Force on National and Homeland Security. He served as the chief of staff of the Congressional EMP Commission, the director of the U.S. Nuclear Strategy Forum and in the CIA. His newest book is entitled Blackout Warfare, State Initiatives to Achieve Preparedness Against an Electromagnetic Pulse, EMP, Catastrophe. Dr. Pry, thanks so much for being with me. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so, so I want to start off there. So I just gave a brief overview of your background. Can you just put that in context for the listeners of what that entails? What What's your specialty and what do you focus on?
0: Well, my focus is pretty broad. I have spent my whole professional life working in the national security area on weapons of mass destruction, nuclear, chemical, biological. Uh, you know, when I was on the House Armed Services Committee, I had my portfolio expanded to include terrorism, the Middle East, Russia, China, uh, you know, all, all of that. But my specialty, I guess, out of all of those, you know, when I was at the CIA, I was their senior expert, really their On uh, electromagnetic pulse EMP, and uh, I've sort of become Mister EMP over the years, so that people turn to me for that. But I can I do more things and know about uh, many more things than EMP. Uh, You know, and I I I don't object to the responsibility of being Mister EMP. I mean, it is the greatest threat, greatest single threat facing our civilization out of all the weapons of mass destruction and threats that we face. Uh, This has been so for many years and it's getting to be a bigger and bigger and worse threat because the technologies are getting more effective. And our dependency on electronics is an electronic civilization, you know, there's sort of a tenfold increase in our dependence on electronics every decade. And so, you know, it would have been possible to survive, you know, an EMP, let's say, uh, perhaps before World War II, uh, it would be impossible for most people to survive today.
2: So walk us through what, what an EMP is. You say it's, it's possibly our single biggest threat, biggest threat to our way of life and just causing absolute uh, widespread destruction and and casualties. What What is an EMP?
0: Oh, right. Uh, simply put it, you know, electromagnetic pulses like a super energetic radio wave. It's got so much energy in it that it will destroy electronics. Uh, you know, in physics 101, it's, it's caused by a moving magnetic field. And, and, you know, and you can see this from an old-fashioned lawnmower. You know, you pull on the cord of a lawnmower. It causes a cluster of magnets called a magneto to spin. And this causes a moving magnetic field that causes electrons and a coil to move. And you get a little EMP in the spark by your spark plug. Now, the Earth is a giant magnet. It's got a north and south pole and we're surrounded by a magnetic field called, called the magnetosphere. And an EMP can be caused by the sun, and that's one of the things we're most worried about, is a solar superstorm. You know, the sun will throw out a coronal mass ejection out of a sunspot, traveling millions of miles an hour, many times larger than the Earth. And the only thing that saves us from being burned to a crisp is the magnetosphere. You know, as the coronal mass ejection slides past the Earth in all directions, it'll make the magnetosphere move around, thereby inducing electromagnetic pulse everywhere in the world. Now, the super solar storm that we're mo- most worried about only happens every 100, 150 years or so. The one uh, most powerful one on record we know of happened in 1859, called the Carrington Event. When that happened, we were not yet an electronic civilization. Which telegraph systems, the cutting edge te- electronic technology of the day, were deployed everywhere, on every continent except Antarctica. And everywhere, the telegraph systems were destroyed, and they failed catastrophically. Telegraph keys melted, Uh, telegraph stations caught on fire, telegraph cables burst into flame and caused forest fires. The transatlantic cable had just been laid in 1859, connecting North uh, America to Europe. And the pulse was so powerful it reached miles deep down into the Atlantic Ocean and, uh, and destroyed that cable. It took years to replace it. But those were the horse and buggy days and civilization did not depend upon electricity. Uh, but if something like that happened today, uh, it would put billions of lives at risk. Critical infrastructures all over the world would fail. And we almost did have a Carrington event happen in the year 2012. I believe it was July 23rd, 2012. Carrington-class coronal mass ejection just missed the Earth by three days. NASA estimates that the likelihood of a solar superstorm is 12% per decade. It's inevitable. It's going to happen someday. Hmm. But that guarantees that's a very high risk. That guarantees that within our lifetimes and you know, the later that of our grandchildren, we're going to experience another character event, and uh, and we are not prepared for it. We can I can ask a event.
2: quick thing. The uh, wh- what do you mean missed by three days? H- how's that calculated?
0: Oh, well, the coronal mass ejection cost the orbit of the Earth. You know, we were we we had moved on three days later. It was three days behind us in our orbit. I see. If, if we had been. Three days earlier on our orbital trajectory, that thing would hit us.
3: Hmm.
0: Now the uh you can cause any MP by a nuclear weapon. Detonate a nuclear weapon in the magnetosphere above the atmosphere. This is not Hiroshima and Nagasaki. This is not the normal use of a nuclear weapon that people think about. If you were standing on the ground directly beneath the explosion, you wouldn't even hear it go off because it's going off in the vacuum of space. There'd be no Blast reaching the surface of the earth, the thermal effects, no radio, radioactivity—none of the things that people fear from a nuclear weapon. Uh, but it would cause an EMP. If it was at 300 kilometers altitude, it would cause an EMP that would cover all of North America and uh, destroy electronics, cause electric grids to collapse, telecommunication systems, cars wouldn't start, airplanes would fall out of the sky, nuclear reactors would probably go in Fukushima in about seven days. Natural gas pipelines would explode. We'd probably have firestorms in cities as a consequence of that. But the biggest thing is, uh, you know, the, the lack of water. Immediately there'd be no water. And the food supply would begin to spoil immediately. We, don't, we only have enough food to feed people for 30 days at normal consumption rates. And after that, you know, there's no food. And the food would begin to spoil, as I said, immediately. So there would be no food before 30 days. We wouldn't be able to distribute it to people. And the EMP Commission couldn't figure out how to keep 330 million people alive for a year with no food and no water. So we calculated that up to 90% of the population could die from starvation, disease, and societal collapse. And last, our non nuclear EMP weapons, or radio frequency weapons, as they're often called. And uh, mostly people talk about find this one most disturbing because almost anyone can do it. There are Devices like the EMP suitcase, which is advertised for sale in electronics magazines that have legitimate peaceful industrial purposes But in effect, they can be used as a weapon. The EMP suitcase, for example, if you had the money to buy one, one man can operate it Put it in the trunk of a car, drive over to an extra-high voltage transformer substation. Well, we've arrived at a place in our technological advancement where a single individual—a terrorist, a madman, a criminal—would topple the technological pillars of civilization for a major metropolitan area all by himself. You know, armed with something like the EMP suitcase. And if you had a team of terrorists running around the country, you know, they could also knock out the national electric grid. They might put blackout warfare that you cited. They'd do a calculation, and uh, you know, a handful of, of people, you know, uh, uh, in 24 hours could probably put North America into a protracted blackout. In fact, do the same kind of thing that you do achieve with a nuclear
2: weapon. Sorry, what, what, what's the first off? Let's let's speak about the the individual case first, and we'll go a little bit the macro. How, how would a individual um, first off? Why would you ever need to buy an EMP? What's the peaceful use for it? How much w- would it cost? And then how how would you um, utilize it? Would it be how would a terrorist utilize it? Would it be to uh, go to a uh, transformer in a um, as you said so in, in like a metro area and, and that transformer because it connects to so many um so much electricity relies on like one transformer that everybody in that surrounding area would be uh, void electricity
0: uh well yes to your last
2: question
0: uh, the emp suitcase its legitimate purposes are industrial uh uh if you're laying out a uh, an airport And you want to know how far do I have to put the radar back from the landing strip so that that the radar doesn't fry the electronics in incoming airliners. Instead of experimenting by moving a radar around in an airport, you can use the EMPC case to simulate the exact kind of pulse and frequency that a radar, uh, air traffic control radar, is going to put out. So you can lay out the plans for an airport that way. Or if you have a, a, a lot of heavy industrial electronic equipment drill presses, things that bend metal. They put a lot out a lot it's very powerful because they use so much electricity, electromagnetic transients. And if this machinery is too close together, they can destroy each other. So if you want to lay out the floor space of the factory, you can use the EMP briefcase to simulate these various machines and figure out, well, this is how far apart I have to space them, or I need to put shielding in between the machines so they don't destroy each other. That's what its intended purpose is. You know, the manufacturer has no intention of, you know, of these things being used as a weapon. Uh, But it does look just like a suitcase, it can be operated by an individual. You don't even need a license to buy it. I mean, in effect, it's a weapon of mass destruction that's available to sale to anybody who knows how to use it. It doesn't have a very far range, it can reach out about, it can generate 100,000 volts out, you know, to maybe 100 meters. But that's plenty. if you put it in the trunk of a car, uh, these EHV transformer substations, you see them all over the place. When you're driving down the highway, you pass under high-power vol- pop- voltage lines. And if you look out, oftentimes you'll see this cluster of structures, you know. They look like big boxes, big metal boxes. And those are the transformers. They're basically uh, extra-high-voltage transformers and SCADA's. These are supervisory control and data acquisition systems. These are control systems and control transformers. They are to our civilization, what uh, aqueducts and the roads were to Roman civilization in the classical period, you know, the Roman civilization couldn't be sustained without those technologies, and our electronic civilization can't be sustained without HV transformers. You know, if there's only now 2,000 of these big extra high voltage transformers in the country, they're very hard to make. Unfortunately, we don't make them here anymore. You know, they were invented in this country by Nikola Tesla around the turn of the century, and we exported the technology for making. Electric grids to the world, but like so many other things, we don't make them in America. In fact, unfortunately, we've been importing extra high voltage transformers and skaters from China, which is an enormous mistake because the Chinese have probably put backdoors in those things so they can attack them by cyber war. They can mm-hmm. design them to be more vulnerable to EMP. Uh, it's as stupid to buy transformers from China as it would be to ask China to build our aircraft carriers or our fighter aircraft. You know, it's giving them an that's why President Trump signed an executive order to stop that. Uh I found it strange and I still can't explain why the Biden administration, why President Biden, during his first week in office, canceled that particular executive order. So we still import these transformers from China and is as well. Uh and that's a terrible vulnerability. How but, many
3: transformers
2: are in a city in a major city? Uh would would you estimate, like uh like Dallas or LA or something like that? What what would be the range of how many there would be?
0: Well, it depends, you know. Uh, you know, in terms of EHV transformers, uh, I mean, a major metropolitan area might have, you know, 10 or 12. You know, oh, that's there's, it? There's 2,000 across the whole country. Well, there's, then there's going to be, we're talking about extra high voltage transformers. Okay. And then there's many other kinds of transformers. There's high voltage transformers, uh, there's medium voltage transformers, there's low voltage. They, they go the power. You're talking about taking energy from the bulk power system, 500,000, 750,000 volts. Uh, What a transformer does, I should explain, this was Tesla's genius, you know, is, for example, Tesla built the first electric grid using a hydroelectric plant at Niagara Falls. And the transformer takes that electricity and can send it all the way down to New York City, where there's another extra high voltage transformer, you know, that receives that energy. And then it sends it off to smaller and smaller transformers, stepping it down from 500,000, 750,000 volts all the way down to 120 volts, so it can be used in your home. And if you if you go outside your home, somewhere in your neighborhood, if you have above ground, you know, electric power lines, you'll see a telephone pole with a round black cylinder. You know, that's your local transformer that does the final step down, to 120 volts, so it can be used in your home. And there's Tens of millions of those in the country, all of those are at risk, you know, from an EMP. But what we're most uh, worried about is the vulnerability of the extra high voltage transformers and scales. Because, because, because all, the other ones them. are connected to it, right? Well, because are, we don't make them. And uh, there are almost other transformers we can, we can pr- we make. You know, we can probably replace them pretty quickly in an emergency. But an extra high voltage transformer is the size of a house that weighs hundreds of tons. You know, it takes 18 months just to build one of them. The whole the global capability to make extra high voltage transformers is less than 200 a year, OK? And there's 2,000 of them on our electric field. If all of those were destroyed, it would take 10 years to replace all of them. If the entire world was willing to give us their uh, EHB transformer production uh, capabilities, uh, uh, To move them, there's only three rail cars in the whole United States that can move an EHV transformer. Bridges have to be reinforced, roads have to be widened. The smart thing is not to lose the EHV transformers in the first place, so you have to replace them. You know, if 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 that's the situation we're in, then it's too late and we're doomed. You know, the point the EMP commission, our object was to get the government and the utilities to protect the transformers from EMP in the first place, so they wouldn't be destroyed.
2: So with the with these high frequency transformers if you let's say um just to finish off with with the individual person uh, a terrorist doing it if he g- goes after one of those as you said there's maybe like um, you know 10 or 12 in a major city uh that would probably be responsible for knocking out power for you know, maybe hundreds of thousands one. of people
0: you'd have to knock out one uh what happens and you don't even have to be a genius okay i mean you could put this thing in the trunk of a car mm-hmm drive it to within 100 yards of an extra high voltage transformer substation and just sit there until you see the sparks and flames coming out of that transformer, All right, It doesn't matter that there might be 10 or 12 or even 20 other transformers. You're taking offline half a million to 750,000 volts in the blink of an eye. Mm, that energy is going to get dumped on the neighboring transformers. They're already operating at the, at the margin of their capabilities already because the huge demand for electricity you know, the grid is always operating on the verge of failure you know we haven't improved it expanded it you know really since the 60s and 70s and our population and the demand for electricity is growing so when you do that that sets in motion cascading failures and all the other transformers are gonna they're gonna fall like dominoes oh, wow. and, and and the whole metropolitan area will uh, will be blacked out it might keep continue rippling and knock out the whole country you know uh, the US Federal Energy Regulatory Commission did a study with us and found that if you knew which nine transformers to knock out out of 2,000, you could put the whole country into blackout for more than a year. Uh, and this is just common sense, too. It's been demonstrated by Mother Nature. Uh, maybe before your time, but uh, there was a, a, a blackout in 2003. It's called the Great Northeast Blackout of 2003. And uh, that was started by a tree branch coming in contact with a high-voltage power line. And uh, that... That little single point failure, okay, started a series of cascading failures in the power grid that put the whole northeastern United States in blackout for day, including New York City. People had to walk home. You know, the subways didn't work. They had to walk home across the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, now, fortunately, it was only a temporary blackout because we didn't lose the HV transformers. But that just demonstrates how vulnerable the grid is to even, even minor damage. This was not a contemplated attack. This was just a, a tree branch having... To hit a high voltage power line, I think it was in Ohio, and it, and it, it just rippled through the system and caused it failure to work. So if you imagine an EMP attack or non-nuclear EMP weapons being used to knock out many transformers, that is an enormous blow to the electric grid that it can't possibly absorb. It's gonna it's gonna collapse like a like a house of cards.
2: So you're saying this is a bigger threat than, um, so parents at school board meetings or QAnon? Would that would that be fair to say that we should be worrying about?
0: Yes, yes, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, to give you a sense of the magnitude, I think, of this threat, this all right? Uh, Western civilization
3: has been destroyed uh,
0: twice before in our history. Uh, there's an interesting book, oh, I can't remember the title of it now. Uh, it's written by an Oxford archaeologist, uh, and he talks about, civilizations that vanished that are mentioned in the Old Testament, the Hittites, the Babylonians, if you ever wondered what happened to them, you know, how, how come they weren't around in the time of Jesus Christ, okay? Well, seven centuries before Christ, at the ends of, of the late Bronze Age, there was a group of uh, barbarians that entered the Mediterranean era called the Sea People. We don't know who they were or where they came from, but uh, by that time, uh, the early the agricultural civilizations had reached a very advanced stage. They were had written languages, uh, mathematics, great works of art, have built huge cities. But the sea people knew that by making the highways unsafe to travel and making the sea lanes of transportation unsafe to travel, uh, maybe they didn't know it. But they they that's the effect they had in, in moving in to the Mediterranean area from somewhere. Uh, the trade that was cut off, it caused these civilizations to collapse. Uh, and they went into the first dark ages, you know, which lasted Oh, about 700, 500 years uh, until the rise of ancient Greece. And then the uh, 476 AD fall of the Roman Empire because the barbarians knew that if they knocked out the aqueducts and made the roads unsafe to travel, basically knocked out the primitive critical infrastructures of that time, it would cause the Roman civilization to collapse. You know, Rome went from having a population of over a million people to fewer than 10,000 people in about a century and a half after after the collapse of the Roman Empire. And it took Western civilization a, uh, a thousand years, more than a thousand years to recover. A lot of historians think that we didn't really recover and reaching an, a level of civilizational, technological sophistication and cultural sophistication, such as experienced by Rome until about the 19th century. You know, you could actually, it was then that the railroad was introduced, so you could finally get to Rome faster than a Roman chariot, you know, could at the time of Nero. And one of the other things we learned is that the bigger you are, the harder you you fall. Because Roman technology, Roman civilization was more advanced than that of the Hittites. And so it took longer to come back from that technological loss. Now, those civilizations were in the technological foothills compared to us. You know, we are on the Mount Everest of technological sophistication and advancement. What will happen if the technological props of our modern electronic civilization are knocked out from under us and we go into a new dark age? Is it possible that we could ever recover from it? So, yeah, people should be a lot more concerned about this than uh the teaching of critical race theory. Although I'm not saying that people shouldn't protest critical race theory. You know, uh alas, we are capable of turning ourselves into barbarians without an external threat happening. You know, that's one of the things that I and my colleagues who have spent our lifetimes in the national security field are really concerned about. You know, we've never seen America so threatened as it, as it is now, not only from multiple hostile totalitarian powers from outside, but for the first time we're facing an internal crisis, the one that the founders anticipated, you know, where, where uh, we are threatened by an enemy within that seems to be hostile to the fundamentals of law and order and Judeo-Christian civilization. But maybe that's a topic for a, a different discussion. Right. Well, other tests we talk about that.
2: People in power in places like, uh, you know, the the Pentagon or even the Department of Defense, uh, you know, Mark Miley comes to mind, the, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff will spend their mental bandwidth on things like white rage. And I haven't heard a single thing from them about these vulnerabilities uh, as to the point about the our, our ability to adapt. I mean, we, we couldn't even handle a run on the toilet paper early, early in the uh, pandemic. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, that was That was something that didn't even affect, you know, uh, your digestive system or anything of that nature. And that was, you know, if we have short memories, that was, uh, you know, store shelves being emptied out, grocery stores being emptied out for something that we couldn't even understand, that that wasn't even apocalyptic. Um, What you're talking, I mean, our our reliance on energy, electricity is is basically, like you say, even water uh, is dependent on it.
0: You can look at hurricanes as an example of the fragility of our civilization. Mm -hmm. I mean, typically it takes about 24 hours after the light goes out for civilization to start coming unglued. Usually, when pre- people miss their third meal, civilization starts coming unglued. I mean, uh, the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina is a great example, or the aftermath of any hurricane. You know, uh, uh, I did, wrote another book called The Power of the Light, uh, Blackout Warfare, its first chapter talks about, you know, using uh, severe weather as examples of what happens to civilization when we're out without electric power, or even for a little while, you know, you can extrapolate from that the worst outcomes. Uh, you mentioned General Mealy, uh, but at least we have as the vice chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General John Heitner, and he gets it. I mean, he just today made an observation about how the China's test of this new space superweapon, you know, poses a potential existential threat to us. And that this is, uh, uh, even Miley described it as a Sputnik moment. Okay, so even he gets it. But I do find that extremely disturbing—a really disturbing sign. If you're talking about the rise and fall of civilizations, you know, because when the military goes, you know, I mean that's usually that's usually it. Uh, that's what it did in the Roman Empire—a whole series of mad emperors and uh, corrupt bureaucrats and Senate that was absolutely worthless. Uh, but when the legions themselves started losing competency. You know, uh that was that was it. That was the doom of uh, of Rome. And it's just so frightening to see that our own military uh you know is uh can't even manage something like Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, one wonders. Uh I mean we're all in Washington and NATO are now in a panic over, over Russia mobilizing on the Ukrainian border. I'm wondering, is this it? Are they gonna invade Ukraine? And what what they're also not saying, are they gonna invade NATO? Okay, because Russia can our own war games have shown that NATO can not only conquer Ukraine, but it can conquer all the NATO frontline states in 72 hours. The Baltics, Poland, Hungary, Romania, all those East European countries that we brought in, 72 hours. That's our own war games. And there's nothing we can do to stop them. Uh, and yet we we continue to just basically rely on the goodwill of Russia, you know, to just be content to rattle our case and demonstrate our impotence every every now and then. This is the second time they've done this this year, by the way. The Biden administration started out with a demonstration. This particular crisis is is, is a rather more serious because there is an unprecedented development because uh, Belarus has requested Russia to deploy Iskander nuclear missiles, tactical nuclear missiles, to their territory opposite Poland and Belarus, as if they threat, face a threat from Poland and Belarus. Clearly an offensive move, but they've not done that before in a uh, in, uh, prior crises, you know. We're a little off the trail from EMP, though, but, you know, uh, uh, you know, this is how dangerous the world is. I mean, we could be in a World War III tomorrow. And if it happens, I, I, I will predict that it's going to be preceded by a cyber EMP attack on the United States to take us out and knock us out of the game, not with an uh, all-out nuclear attack or some kind of a, a big conventional attack against us, Because the Soviets, the Russians, the Chinese and their military doctrine. And this is the theme of my book, Blackout Warfare, is why I wrote it and my colleagues wrote it. It's the first time in the West that a book has been written that describes this new way of warfare, how the bad guys would do it, you know, using cyber, physical sabotage, non-nuclear EMP and EMP all coordinated together. I mean, it's a, it's like a blitzkrieg in, in the electromagnetic spectrum. Aimed at destroying our technology, not our people, because they know that ninety nine percent of the electricity for our military forces comes from the civilian grid. You know if you knock out the civilian grid, that's our technological Achilles really heel It can be helpless to do anything to support our naval eyes or, or to project power around the world and, and a president, if he's not an idiot, is not even going to want to get involved. In world war that he's going to lose, you know, trying to go into a world war that he can't project for. If he, if he follows the Constitution, his highest priority should be to save the lives of the American people. You know, that means mobilizing whatever resources we have left, and that would chiefly be the military, to try to bring the grid back, you know, before the worst-case scenario we've been talking about happens. We lose millions of Americans and our whole civilization because of the uh, collapse of the electric grid. And that's what they're counting on. That's what they... They and their and their doctrine. It may not even be possible. It may not even be necessary to fight your traditional classical World War III, where air forces and armies and and nuclear missile armies face off against each other. You could do it all, you know, possibly with just the EMP and cyber attacks and and win uh, without traditional war. You might be at a place in the history of military science where traditional armies and navies that we have, have thought about over the course of thousands of years of military history become obsolete you know as obsolete as wooden sailing sailing ships were uh rendered by the advent of uh, of the ironclads and the uh, uh steel battleships
2: how many countries can take us out using a emp how how fast could they do it um and would there be any d- devices that we have that be able to anticipate it shortly before they they initiated this attack, or would we just be caught blindsided should Russia or China or whatever decide to initiate this action?
0: Well, Russia, China, and North Korea have the capability to to make a nuclear EMP attack against the United States right now. In fact, North Korea's got two satellites satellites that regularly orbit over us that the EMP commission was concerned (laughs) might be armed for a a surprise EMP attack against the United States.
2: you're telling me one of the poorest countries in the world could disable the entire United States electrical
0: grid and yes. render us that electricity. That's one of the reasons why uh, it's considered uh, the most decisive revolution in military affairs in history by our adversaries, and I think they're right because we've never had a situation in history where one of the most backward, poorest countries like North Korea, you know, could defeat the most sophisticated and advanced civilizations uh, on the planet. This is the first time in history we've been in this situation. And if you're talking about EMP attacks that use non-nuclear weapons, then almost anybody could do it, including non-state actors, terrorists, criminal organizations. So the, uh, you know, the man-made threat is uh, a very clear and present danger.
2: This seems to be more of a uh, concerning thing that we need to be worrying about, a more of a grave threat than you know, figuring out how to put more windmills in Palm Springs or something of that nature. I'm
0: very disappointed that the infrastructure bill. Uh, now, the Biden administration would disagree with me. Uh, to their credit, the Biden has continued the EMP executive order that President Trump signed. They did not, they can't. That I was even asked early in the Biden administration for help on, uh, on implementing it. but I don't think I was listened to <laughs> because there's uh, not, as far as I can tell, there's no money in the infrastructure bill to actually physically harden the grid, which is what we should be doing. Uh, they will say though, but look, we're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to do more studies. And that is true, and that's unprecedented. They're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to come up to look at more studies about, well, how do we go about protecting the critical infrastructures? How can we do it more cost-effectively? But, but the people who are doing this are the ones who have been the biggest obstacles to national EMP preparedness. They're the ones I've been fighting against for years. They're getting the money to do the studies. They don't have the expertise to do the studies. All they have to do is implement the EMP Commission plan that was offered to Congress back in 2008. I, I think this money is just going to be a huge waste. I think it's just going to go to line the pockets of the Beltway Bandits and the friends of DOE You know, in the Department of Energy who have rotating doors with these Beltway Bandits. And a lot of the things that are being done in the infrastructure bill, I mean, these windmills and solar farms and the plans to add thousands of new kilometers of, of, of power lines so that you can feed these... These, these solar farms, and windmill farms, into the grid are actually going to make the, the, the grid more vulnerable, a lot more vulnerable. It's a bad idea to use uh, these technologies, solar and uh, and, and wind farms. Oh, Why yeah. do they make it more vulnerable? Well, they don't constantly produce electricity. When the sun doesn't shine or the wind doesn't blow, these things go offline. and You can't have fluctuations like that in the big grid. If you were, if you had a small microgrid, okay, Solar is good for that. Wind is good for that. You know, if you had a, uh, I don't know, an industrial facility or a hospital or a police station, you know, and you wanted emergency backup power, a solar or wind thing might, might be helpful. But when you put it on the big grid, you know, it causes, this is one of the things that happened in Texas during the ice storm. You know, the first thing that failed were the, uh, were the windmills. You know, they weren't prepared to protect the windmills. I mean, and by the way, what does that tell you about the competence of utilities to protect against sophisticated threats like cyber and EMP? Okay. Obviously, they're not capable of doing it at all. They didn't even think to put you know, heating elements on the windmills so they wouldn't freeze up. But when the windmills went offline, you know what I was talking about before happens because you can't just go in and, do a, and, uh, and, and pull off you know, hundreds of thousands of volts of generating power all of a sudden and expect the grid not to collapse. It's going to collapse. It's a, it's a huge, sophisticated, delicate machine you know, that has to be managed properly. You know, and and uh, uh, you're, you're incorporating more and more failure points, big failure points when you're tying solar and wind into in, 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 in the big grid. It's a misuse of that power. And, uh, and it doesn't even, even if you were serious, even if you believe in climate change, it doesn't even address that threat, even if climate change was for you. You know, to make these windmills and the solar panels, when you do the net calculations about carbon footprints and all of that, uh, you know, uh, they're actually not a good technology from that perspective. Uh, you know, most of these windmills uh, have to be junked after a short period of time. I mean, they don't have long service lives. Uh, there was an example; I think it was 2019, and they helped the whole all of the United Kingdom went into blackout because a couple of windmills went offline and caused the the cascading failure. People were trapped on. On subways and had to go to the bathroom out of windows and things like that. You know that's going to happen here on an extremely large scale if the Biden plans for the electric grid are realized. You know they're they're going in completely wrong direction. They should be building more nuclear power plants. Right, right. You know, uh, you know there there are uh, a micro nuclear uh, power plant technologies now so that you can uh, so that you can even have micro grids that are run by nuclear. You know that's the cleanest. Safest technology, the new nuclear power plant to solve the problem, waste disposal and things of that sort. But even aside from that, I mean, whatever kind of an electric grid we need, the, the solution, these threats that I've been talking about, the existential threats, and the reason I've been doing spending so much of my time on this is because this is one threat that we don't have to be vulnerable to. There's really no excuse for us to be vulnerable. You know, we know how to protect the Defense Department has known how to protect against EMP for 50 years, and we just have to apply those same technologies, faraday cages, blocking devices, surge arresters, you know, to protect the transformers and the skaters. And we as a civilization, you know, have already done it once. We've already protected our electric grids and most of our electronic civilization from another EMP threat that would be an existential threat if we had not protected against it. And that's called lightning. You know, in the EMP world, that's called E2 EMP and we almost never talk about it. You don't have to because the industry realized years ago that we couldn't build an electronic civilization if everything was vulnerable to light because it happens all the time. And so we have built in and nobody had to pass a law. There was never any big political debate about it. You know, uh, it was just decided by, by industry uh, and by the power companies, utilities themselves that look, You know, we need to protect ourselves against this. So everything, all the critical systems are going to have a built, are going to have lightning protection built into them. So the transformers have lightning protection built into them already. They're already protected against
3: E2EMP,
0: you know? Even your personal computer, things that you think when they first started off doing lightning protection you would say, oh, it's going to be impossible to protect a personal computer against lightning. I mean, look how many of these personal computers there are, and how inexpensive they are, and a lightning bolt Generates thousands of volts. How can it ever be practical and and cost effective? But it is. It costs almost nothing now. You know, if you look at the plug that goes into the wall for your personal computer, it's a kind of a fat plug. There's a little surgeraster in there so that if there's a lightning strike on the power line, it protects your computer from being fried. Mm -hmm. If you think about nuclear EMP and solar EMP and and these non nuclear EMP weapons, it's just super lightning. They're like super lightning, they're faster, they're more powerful. You know, you just use the same technologies. They have to be more robust, they have to be, you know, they have to be uh, faster. Uh, But our system, you know, if we start mandating that, look, when you build an EHP transformer, it's gotta be protected, not just against light. it's also gotta be protected against these other things that are gonna happen someday, okay? But you've gotta protect against them because we can't put 330 million lives at risk by not being protected. Absolutely. Same thing with the container. Just design it right into the status. That's the best way to do it. So, so uh, and that's what the National Institute for Standards and the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission and the Department of Energy need to get off their duffs and just mandate EMP protection on all these electronics to keep us at least on the ones that are absolutely crucial to our survival, like the transformative mm-hmm. status. I believe if we start doing that, it'll follow the same path that we did for lightning protection. And people will find the market, the market will find ways of doing this very cost-effectively so that someday even your car and your personal computer will be able to survive any By the way, you could protect a car right now with known technology for probably $100 if they, if they manufactured it and they <laughs> built it right into the car in the factory. We know from 50 years of the Department of Defense experience that if you design the hardness into the system in the first place, it only adds something like 1% to at most 6% The cost of manufacturing.
2: So we just passed a, uh, as you as you referenced the infrastructure bill over a trillion dollars. You know, forty percent of the money supply didn't exist about a year and a half ago. They're currently debating spending another one point seven five, maybe even up to four trillion dollars in in actuality. Uh, So we seem to be living in an era where budgets don't seem to matter. um, At least to some of the people in charge. How much would it cost to? protect our, our infrastructure, our grid, particularly in the transformers from these EMP attacks? And uh, what could be the possible reason as to why the government hasn't done so already, uh, given that it doesn't seem like, like budgetary restrictions are the uh, reason?
0: Well, there's a lot of possible answers to your question. because it's sort of like asking, how much does it cost to protect my house from fire? Okay, and there's a lot of answers to that question. Mm. If you have no fire protection in your house at all, You could spend $20 on a smoke alarm, and that will dramatically increase your security against fire. You know, your family is not likely to die. You could spend more money and buy fire extinguishers. You know, you could spend still more money and and have a sprinkler system built into your house, okay? So it's sort of the same thing with EMP. There are various options in terms of the the way you could go. The EMP commission knew that most, back in 2008, you know, when we originally made these recommendations to protect the critical infrastructures, we knew that most people had never even heard of EMP because it had been largely classified. These dramatic effects and the consequences to society had been largely classified up to that point. And so we wanted to keep the cost as low as possible to hope and hope that, uh, you know, that, 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 the, that a low-cost plan would be sellable to Congress and that they would implement it. And unfortunately that hasn't turned out to be the case, but we came up with a plan to protect the bulk power system that provides, you know, that's the heart, it provides the most of the electricity in the United States for two to $4 billion. That would protect all of the uh, EHV transformers, all the generators and all the critical state systems. Now, it's not a perfect plan, okay? Because it also requires smart planning on the part of the Department of Homeland Security and the Utilities, you know, you're going to have the, 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 the big ticket items will be protected, but you'll have to have a plan in place to take advantage of that situation to bring the, the grid back. So that's one thing. That's you not Four
2: million billion. It's nothing. That's, that's not uh, even you know. You you know, spend
0: That's a couple percent. We suspended foreign aid to Pakistan for one year, and President Trump did suspend foreign aid to Pakistan. But if, he, if we spent that on the security of the American people, would would solve the problem. But there are other plans. A, a, a more ambitious plan would be to, break, to harden the entire grid you know, to military standards. So that you wouldn't need a smart plan. You wouldn't need any smart person at all in the loop. You know, it would just survive. And that would probably cost 20 or 30 billion dollars, which again, is nothing, yeah, nothing compared, right. to, uh, compared to what we're spending on infrastructure. And then there's a really low cost plan that would spend about 100, 200 million dollars to protect the EHV transformers. I think the top 400 EHV transformers uh, that service the major metropolitan areas. So that at least we'd have some kind of a fighting chance to to uh, save millions of people, you know, it's, that's not a good plan. That's a like a bare bones plan, but it's better than doing nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, at least you have some kind of a chance to to save millions of lives and uh, and maybe bring this civilization back, as opposed to doing nothing. So those are the costs. Those are the uh, some of the. And what's been the
2: pushback? Why Why hasn't, for example, the Trump or the Biden administration uh, been engaged on this? Given the well, real the Trump, real Trump
0: real administration yeah. engaged on this. Uh, uh, president Trump, I briefed him before he became president. I had the privilege of briefing him at the Iowa caucuses. He'd never heard of EMP, but he understood it immediately. And he he asked the question, why isn't the country already protected? Right. And I explained that all through the Cold War, we were counting on deterrence, our capability to attack Russia, the Soviet Union back then, uh, you know, to deter them from making an attack, okay? And so we'd never hardened our critical infrastructure against it, although we had, we had hardened some of our, uh, you know, our military forces, our nuclear command and control and our nuclear forces to do retaliation. But the, fa- the bottom line was that uh, the, nobody wanted responsibility for this big existential threat. You know, the Department of Defense would say, well, the EMP could be caused by the sun. So this, this problem belongs to the Department of Homeland Security. That's a natural threat. And the Department of Homeland Security would say, well, this is a, a nuclear threat. Or a terrorist threat, and this belongs to the Department of Defense. And the Department of Energy would say, you know, national security is not what we're about. You know, we're about working with the utilities to provide the most cost-effective, cheapest electricity possible. And President Trump said to me, "Don't worry, Dr. Pry. When I'm elected president, well, I'm going to knock their heads together, and we're going to get this problem solved." And he did. He wrote an executive order. I helped write the executive order, as did the EMP Commission, uh, that was signed into law. Well. Not law, but it was issued on March 26, 2019. Uh and it's an excellent executive order, uh, and it does knock their heads together. It requires all the relevant departments and their energy uh, departments and agencies to work together to protect not only the electric grid but all the critical infrastructures. And it makes it a high priority. And it doesn't trust any of the departments or agencies to act independently. The White House is in charge. And in effect, the president put himself in charge of overseeing. This. And a progress report was supposed to be given every year on the date of that executive order to say, this is how we have progressed in protecting, in protecting the nation. And uh, Congress agreed with the president. And uh, Democrats and Republicans alike agreed with the president. In effect, Congress said, we agree with the president. And not only is this going to be an executive order, but they incorporated it into what is arguably the most important bill that Congress passes, the National Defense Authorization Act. That's the Defense Department right. bill. And in the FY 2020 National Defense Authorization Act, they incorporated a provision that, in effect, and I think this is the only time this has happened in our history for an executive order, that incorporated the executive order into the bill so that it now has the weight of law. And so Congress is, in effect, saying to the federal bureaucracy, you must do this as a matter of law. And then uh, the Congress also passed a bill called the Critical Infrastructure Protection Act. Then, under the law, requires the Department of Homeland Security to work with the utilities and the states and launch pilot projects to get the country protected on on an accelerated basis. So it's not like the White House and the Congress, you know, haven't, in fact, they've provided all the authorities and all the direction to the federal bureaucracies that should have been necessary to get the country protected. And in the America I grew up in, you know, if any one of these things had been done, the country would have been protected. But that's because we acted like a constitutional republic back in those days. Now we know as a result of the experience with President Trump that we have this thing called the deep state, something the founders were really worried about, that there would be this rise of this uh, centralization of power in Washington and the rise of a new aristocracy and the federal bureaucracy you know, uh, that thinks it knows better than the Congress and thinks it knows better than the president and it's going to do what it wants to do. And it can just wait them all out.
3: Well, they've had a great
2: track record, though. You know, I mean, you know, with with the weapons of mass destruction, and uh, not seeing the Afghan situation yes. collapsing in a week.
0: Look at COVID. Look at COVID. Okay, biological warfare hasn't been classified the way EMP has. We've known since the nineteen fifties that there were serious biological threats mm-hmm. to this country, and we supposedly have been spending decades planning and billions of dollars preparing. Right were serious biological threats like genetically engineered anthrax that can kill and has mortality rates of 90%, all right? We were supposed to be ready for that kind of a thing. An intelligent high school student would have known to buy masks and ventilators. Uh, We should have had supercomputers running algorithms all the time about hypothetical coronaviruses, okay, to come up with vaccines decades ago. But none of that was done, you know, because we've got people like Dr. Fauci in charge. Right.
2: Well, he actually funded the lab where the virus leaked from, right, exactly. through, through NIH grants. So
0: exactly. it's not only we were not prepared, we helped
2: prepare yeah, ourselves can, for our own collapse in that respect. I mean,
0: you can right. find equally shocking stories where the MP is concerned. For example, the Department of Energy, which basically is in the pocket of utilities, you know, because if you work for the Department of Energy, There's a rotating door between you and the electric utilities, And if you play ball with the utilities and do what they want, you can can retire into a a, a fat job, very high paying job in the electric power industry. And that's one of the other reasons why we're not protected. Uh, They have been uh, working very closely with a group called the Electric Power Research Institute. This is one of the lobbies that produces junk science studies for the electric power industry. And EPRI says, oh, don't worry about EMP. it's not such a serious threat. Or it's such a serious threat, there's nothing you can do about it. So don't do any, try doing anything about it. Or don't worry, we're on top of this. It's the electric power industry. Just go back to sleep. We're going to handle it, you know, which is why things like the Texas ice storm, the California wildfires, you know, I mean, they're not even smart enough to replace high power tower lines that are a hundred years old. And that any idiot can see is going to get blown down in a windstorm and cause a forest fire. Hundreds of people, whole towns have been wiped out by California wildfires, and they've got rolling blackouts because they don't even, not even competent to do the basics. Well, this EPRI, you know, talking about Dr. Fauci like moves, it turns out, you know, is not even an American institution. It gets money from Russia and China, you know, and, uh, and, 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 and one of the EPRI officers actually got a medal from the Chinese Communist Party for, for his good work in the United States. It's not clear what that metal is for, but what the hell is the D- Department of Energy doing working with EPRI? Right. You know, this is letting the enemy inside our gates. It's as bad as importing Ch- Chinese transformers. I mean, in effect, you're letting communist China have a voice in writing our policy on EMP. And, and that's, frankly, you know, I mean, uh, uh, that's another uh, reason. I also think that we've probably been penetrated by hostile foreign agents. And that's another reason why. Uh, now, Dr. Graham, who's the, the free world's foremost EMP expert, I mean, he was, a, he was a young defense scientist studying what happened after the Starfish Prime high-altitude nuclear test that knocked the lights out at Hawaii. He was involved in that. and I was just in elementary school, right? So he's been working this all my life. And Dr. Graham would caution me and say, Peter, when it comes to Washington, never attribute to conspiracy that which can be explained by stupidity. And Dr. Graham is probably right. You know, it's probably the Dr. Fauci's and the gross incompetence of our of our federal bureaucracy. but I can't help fear. I think it likely, you know, despite Dr. Graham's caution, that we have been deeply penetrated by the Russians and Chinese. You know they were able to penetrate our intelligence community many times. right we had We had a Cuban intelligence officer running the Cuba desk in the Defense Intelligence Agency for ten years. You know, uh, there are FBI background checks You get polygraphed every year. Extensive uh, efforts are made to keep hostile foreign agents out of our intelligence community. And yet we can't seem to do it. They manage to penetrate. There are no such requirements for joining or working for EFRI,
3: you know, uh, uh,
0: working for the U.S. Federal Energy Regulatory Commission or going into the utilities themselves. We captured a couple of uh, terrorists during the uh, war war in the Middle East who had uh, been Al Qaeda members. Who had once worked in uh, in uh, nuclear reactors in Pennsylvania? Uh, that that that's where their jobs were. So you know all of these things, you know, co- coming together. I think the biggest, probably, maybe part of the simplest answer, though, is why we're not protected yet. You know, it, it, it's you know I think we're in a phase of civilizational decline. You know, when you look at what America was able to do and what government could do. By the great generation that won World War II and survived the Great Depression. You know, we, we won World War II, mobilized six million men from an army. Of, you know, we invented the atomic bomb in three years. Uh, you know, uh, we built a nuclear navy. Uh, you know, we sent a man to the moon. We built a national highway system under Eisenhower that was uh, 50,000 road miles, as big as the Roman Empire had built in centuries. Uh, but we had people who knew what they were doing. Running those programs, you know Oppenheimer and Teller are our, our, our top leading physicists ran the Manhattan Project and invented the atomic bomb. You know well, we had an admiral who was an expert in nuclear power who invented the nuclear navy. Uh, you know, uh, you're
2: saying that ethnic studies majors can't build the Empire State Building in a year. Yeah, exactly. Or so. I'm
0: saying lawyers and, uh, and 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 congressional staffers who are brown nosers. Okay, and that's how they got where they are. These are not competent people to be putting in charge of uh, uh, you know for, providing for the country's national security. And uh, over and over again, look at Chris Krebs. Uh, you know, he was running the the uh, Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency for President Trump, and. You know, and while I God love President Trump, all right, the man didn't know how to govern. Uh, you know, he kept all these Obama holdovers and promoted them. Even He promoted Chris Krebs to be in the who was a holdover from the Obama administration. It was Chris Krebs? He was a lawyer and a lobbyist for Microsoft. All right. He makes the guy that the head of the critical cybersecurity. And he doesn't know anything about cybersecurity or EMP. I wrote a whole book called The Power and the Light. I have a chapter in there about how Chris Krebs was undermining President Trump's EMP executive order. You know, he should have fired Krebs. The guy should never have been in that position. But uh, Krebs, by the way, was also responsible. You know, one of the things that's considered a critical infrastructure is our election system. And Krebs was responsible for ensuring that the 2020 elections, you know, were not cyber hacked and were honest elections. And the day, a few days after President Trump lost, Chris Krebs announced that these were the fairest elections in American history, the fairest, most transparent elections. that then President Trump finally fired you never should have kept him on in the first place. The guy should have been fired on day one. Let's but chat about
2: so we spoke about the e- EMP and you have you have some interesting takes as well. Um I want to get your thoughts on on our nuclear arsenal and especially vis-a-vis what the Chinese and Russians are doing. So we spent billions and billions and billions on these like nuclear defense systems throughout the entire Cold War, um, and billions in our nuclear arsenal over the course of many decades. Not it doesn't seem so much anymore. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong about that. And now another thing the intelligence agencies apparently missed was they seem to have been flabbergasted by the fact that China now has these hypersonic missiles that can basically uh, evade any defenses against them from our side. Uh, What do you what exactly are these hypersonic missiles from China? Um, Do we have them? How are we caught? Flat footed on this? How are, we, how are we caught in the dark on this? And do you see that as being an extremely uh, urgent or grave threat?
0: Yes. There's a whole panoply of new, revolutionary new technologies that are going to transform uh, the strategic nuclear competition. And we're basically 30 years behind the Russians and Chinese because we took a, a nuclear holiday on, on, on building nuclear weapons technologies when the Cold War was over and Republicans and Democrats alike are to blame for this. I mean, I have been a lonely voice protesting this as have have others. Most Americans don't realize it, but the nuclear deterrent that we rely upon today, the ICBMs, the bombers, the ballistic missile submarines, uh, they're decades old. It is the same nuclear deterrent that Ronald Reagan built. The warheads that are going to be delivered by these are older than Ronald Reagan or as old Go back to the Reagan administration. We don't have anybody left to even design a nuclear weapon and test it. All right, these people are all dead or retired. And what we've been doing over the decades since the Reagan administration, since the end of the Cold War, since 1991, you know, is we've been patching up the old weapons, patching up the delivery vehicles, and just keeping them going. You know, the Minuteman III ICBM was deployed in 1972. You know, it's the same missile, and we've just been patching it up. And not testing them either, because under Bill Clinton we have a conference we signed out of the comprehensive test ban treaty, all right? So we haven't been able to test the weapons. I ask you, suppose you had a Boeing seven forty-seven, all right? A seven forty-seven is a lot less technologically advanced than a man-it man man 3 ICBM or then at the sub-launch ballistic missiles. So a,
2: icbm on. is an intercontinental ballistic missile, so that's that is is the delivery mechanism to get a is it, is it mostly Designed with the intention of being able to launch a nuke, or is it a regular bomb as well? The
0: Minuteman Three will only launch a nuclear weapon. Okay, and, uh, and the nuclear weapon on it—a nuclear weapon is one of the most sophisticated technologies our civilization can do. All right, so you've got that warhead, and you haven't tested it in thirty years, and you're hoping it will work if you need it to work in a World War Three. Now I ask you, okay, if you had a Boeing Seven Forty Seven that was sitting there for thirty years. And you could never turn on the engines. You could never test it to see if it could fly. But you were allowed to go in and look for rust and replace parts that look like they're old. And then it lasts so long that the original yeah. people who designed the 747 are dead or retired. And you have a new generation of, of, of people come in that are unfamiliar with this system, you know, because they didn't build it. Would you get in that plane and take it for a ride Right. keep your life on that plane working? I wouldn't. You know the likelihood that that plane is going to fail is very high because you haven't tested it for thirty years. It's not enough to just replace spare parts. Complex systems, you know, uh, can't be abused that way. But that's what we've done with our nuclear deterrent. And only last, only a couple of years ago, maybe it was last year, uh, the State Department finally admitted that the Russians and Chinese have been cheating. And the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty for 30 years. Shocked. So, they've, they, they've got a, so they've got a 30-year head start on us in developing these new advanced nuclear weapons, including things like hypersonic glide vehicles and the weapons that the hypersonic glide vehicles will carry. Super EMP weapons, for example, weapons that can generate extraordinarily powerful EMP fields so strong that even our best protected military systems will not survive. You know our our military hardening standard is fifty thousand volts per meter and super emp weapon can make a hundred thousand volts per meter or more you know uh
2: why is a hypersonic missile better oh, what what's then than whatever we have um yeah. that's not hypersonic is it how much faster is it or
0: it's better if you're planning for a surprise attack okay mm-hmm. it's better if you're planning to win a nuclear war uh our nuclear deterrent was never Designed to make a surprise attack or make a nuclear or or, or, or or to fight and win a nuclear war. You know, it was designed to deter, to, to, to scare the other guy away from thinking that he could defeat us, that he could catch us by surprise. And uh, hypersonic live vehicles uh, can take us by surprise and uh, uh, are, 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 could enable you to win a nuclear war by launching a nuclear Pearl Harbor against our retaliatory forces. Super EMP weapons uh, can enable you to win a nuclear war with a single blow, a single weapon, to put off an, an EMP field all of North America with prior electronics. And you could, they're, they're coming. The technologies are so advanced and we're so far behind that they have multiple ways that they could fight and win a nuclear war now, not just one way. Mm-hmm. EMP is the easiest way. Hypersonic glide vehicles are another way. They're so, pers- not only do they provide no warning, uh, and, and and are they able to pred- penetrate missile defenses in the world? And our missile defenses were never designed to deal with Russia and China, by the way. You know, the, Bill Clinton dumbed them down. They're supposed to be for North Korea. We can't even, we have a hard time even dealing with the North Korean threat because the North Korean nuclear threat is based on Chinese and Russian technology. The assumption by the intelligence community was that North Korea was going to be all indigenous. The technology would be indigenous. What could North Korea come up with entirely on its own? Right. But that has not been what has happened. You know, the Russians and Chinese have helped the North Koreans deliberately because North Korea is their pistol aimed at our head. You know, that's another way they could fight a nuclear war with us, North Korea. You know, so they, they wouldn't even have to be involved.
2: And the hypersonic missiles, we have no defense for them because they're just too fast. Is is that right? And our our systems were de- our systems to stop missiles from coming in here were were designed for slower uh, armaments. Is that
0: right? It's it's the altitude that they travel at. It's not okay. so much the speed. Okay. Uh, they they travel about the same speed as a ballistic warhead, about fifteen thousand miles per hour. Okay, which is really almost unimaginably fast. I mean, uh, uh, uh but they don't fly in a ballistic trajectory. Uh, a normal ballistic missile follows a parabolic type trajectory like this. Right, you know, right. it's guided by Sir Isaac Newton, okay? And we look, our radars are aimed up into space and we see that thing when it reaches that apogee. Right. These hypersonic flight vehicles skim along the top of the atmosphere. There may be 60 to 100, this thing is up there, you know, at a thousand kilometers high. You know, at, at its apogee. These hypersonic glide vehicles never go up there. They skim along the top of the atmosphere, 60 kilometers high, 100 kilometers high. They're hidden by the curvature of the Earth. And when our, by the time they come in within view of our radar, it's way too late. Right, to right. About it. And they can even invade our radar. I mean, this is one of the things that was so disturbing about the Chinese test in August, because they married a hypersonic glide vehicle that was called the Fractional Orbital Bombardment System. Uh, you know, this is a Uh, It's basically a super space weapon. Uh, You know, it orbits the hypersonic glide vehicle. Again, at really low altitude so that the radars can't see it. But we don't have any radars that can see it at at all when it's traveling south. You launch it on a southward trajectory. It goes over the south pole. It comes up from us, uh, at us from the south. We don't have any ballistic missile early warning radars facing south. We didn't, didn't, no interceptors. We're blind and defenseless from that direction. The first warning we would have is when the EMP goes off. And these hypersonic glide vehicles would enable you to make an even more efficient EMP attack because you know they're they're small and light enough so that you could have one big launcher, you know, carry many of them. You know, there's not that many targets that you need to hit to win a nuclear war against the United States. By winning a nuclear war, what I mean is a disarming counterforce strike where they paralyze our retaliatory capabilities. You wouldn't be interested in destroying our cities. You know, they want to hold our cities hostage so that we'll surrender. They want to take away our ability to retaliate. You know, there are three bomber bases. There's a you know a couple of ICBM wings, NORAD quarters, Washington D.C. Tinker Air Force Base. You know, there's about a dozen targets, and you could put each hypersonic glide vehicle, you could put the peak field right down in each one of those points, and uh, make a much more effective EMP attack, totally by surprise. Uh, so that one day we'd suddenly find ourselves without any kind of a nuclear deterrent, and then <laughs> Russia or China or North Korea could say, "The next target is going to be an American city. Are you going to surrender, or you know, meet our demands, and uh, and it's all over?" That's it. just one example of the. Right. There's also artificial intelligence, where we're way behind. You know, the Russians are planning to deploy this thing called Poseidon. You know, I have recommended that we shouldn't tolerate Poseidon. You know, uh, uh, it's a uh, autonomous submarine. It's a it's the first fully autonomous nuclear weapon. Uh, it's an artificially intelligent nuclear weapon uh, that's designed. To, 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 uh, it's nuclear powered, so it's a torpedo or a submarine that can patrol the oceans basically for years. And uh, I think it's designed to, to to track our submarines. To go after our ballistic missile submarines, you know, that are at sea. We don't have that many of them at sea anymore. You know, the whole, uh, we used to have, during the Cold War, we had about 30 to 40 ballistic missile submarines. And now the whole submarine fleet has been reduced to uh, 12. Uh, With 12 submarines on a day-to-day basis, you can have about four at sea. So they've got to get those four submarines at sea. You can do that with EMP because the submarines are useless if they can't get emergency action messages from Washington. All right. And so the EMP can fry those links. But the Russians and the Chinese the totalitarian states that they are and paranoid general staffs that they have, in addition to submarine communication links, they would like a hard kill. They would actually like to kill those boats. And I think that's what Poseidon is intended to do. It's probably, probably going to go out there, use artificial intelligence to keep track of our submarines. It's got a 100 megaton warhead. That's, that's 10,000 times more powerful than the Hiroshima bomb. Most powerful nuclear warhead ever deployed. It'll
2: this is the Russian a- one, the Poseidon?
0: Yeah. It'll it make a tremendous underwater shockwave. The underwater shockwave destroys submarines out to a radius of more than a hundred miles. So it doesn't even have to get close, you know. So at some point, you know, it just self it would just self destruct itself. Now, this thing is gonna be out there patrolling up and down the east coast and west coast of the United States looking for our ballistic missile submarines designed by Russian software engineers uh, and stuff, a hundred megaton warhead. This ought not to be tolerated. I've recommended that the that the, America, the United States should take the position that we're going to destroy the Poseidon if they put it off our coasts. You know, we're not going to tolerate this thing coming anywhere near the United States. Right. You know, what if there's an accident? You know, what if the software there's a glitch in the artificial intelligence program or something like that? We have a hundred megaton warhead going off off the, off the shore. It could raise, the, raise a radioactive tidal wave, hundred meters high, 300, 300 feet high. Uh, you know, and, uh, and undated that, that's one of the other purposes that was originally advertised for by the Russians, by the way, they said, well, this is going to be for going after your population. They don't need Poseidon to do that. They, they, they can actually just vaporize cities. I, I think the, the one thing they haven't talked about the mission of Poseidon is the ballistic missile submarines, you know, and I think that that's, that's what they're, they're after there. And then there are these, the new generation nuclear warheads that Russia has developed, and probably China too. I talked about super, you know, warheads, But they have a, a generation of battlefield weapons that produces no radioactive fallout. They're clean, and you can adjust the yield so that it's very, very low yield, so that you could use a nuke that take just take out a bridge, or you could dial it up so it could take out a tank company, or dial it up further, and it could take out a whole division. Uh, they have uh, nukes that are specialized for X-rays or neutrons, not making blasts but for, for, for making these specialized nuclear effects for anti-aircraft purposes or for anti-missile purposes. So, you know, we're a whole, the Russians call them third generation nuclear weapons. And, uh, and, and they actually got them. And, and the Chinese and even North Korea's got the super. So they have at least one third generation nuclear weapon. All of our nuclear weapons are second generation. You know, it's like going to a gunfight with a knife. You right. know, the, the nuclear weapons we have were designed for blast and shock. They were built during a different era for a different kind of war. And they're, they're not going to be relevant in the kinds of conflicts that we're, we're talking about in the future. And we're putting ourselves in a position so they can win without war. I mean, ultimately, that's, that's the great value of nuclear weapons, you know, the real thing to learn. And we should have learned this from our own experience in the Cold mm-hmm. War. You know, it's always the loser. who who learns the lesson of the last war. You can win without war. Look at John F. Kennedy. Right. The Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm
2: -hmm. Because you leverage.
0: He won peacefully because Mm -hmm. he had such a vast superiority. We had a 5% superiority in ICBMs over the Soviet Union. And the Russians backed off because they knew they couldn't win. Mm -hmm. And Ronald Reagan won the Cold War practically without firing a shot. The Soviet Union disintegrated because he didn't let them capture strategic superiority, a war-winning capability. Had he done so had we continued the course that Jimmy Carter had set for us, they probably would have attacked us and won the Cold War. But we thank God we got Ronald Reagan. You know, God looks after fools, drunkards, and little little children in the United States of America. Otto von Bismarck said it. it seems to be true. Okay, I'm hoping. Uh, hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel this kind of time. All, all right. Uh, You know, but. Even 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 General Miley, you know, says, well, are we going to take on China? You know, are we really going to go and risk getting in a nuclear war with China over Taiwan? Are we really going to come to the aid of Ukraine or the Baltic states or even Europe, all of European NATO when right. our own war games show that we're going to lose? You know, at this point, it's just a huge bluff. And this is what Russia and China and North Korea and, and Iran are all counting on. Mm-hmm. That in effect, they'll win without some of the signs of it are already happening. I mean, uh, uh, for example, the most important piece on the Pacific chessboard was our B-52 wing in Guam. It's not there anymore. You think that Japan and South Korea and Taiwan and the Philippines, and that they dr- drive comfort from the, from the sudden absence of the B-52 wing in Guam? I don't think so. I mean, it shows that the, the cop, the, the global policeman has left the beat. Uh, it really undermines our, our credibility. Little by little, In things big and small, concessions like that are are happening. And uh, I think what the bad guys are planning on, that we're just going to wake up one day. Our allies are going to realize that, uh, you know, I've got to cut a deal with China and Russia. And and suddenly the world order will change without war. Mm -hmm. You'll have a new world order dominated by these totalitarian states without war. But if they have to go to war, they will.
2: I think particularly that's, that's one of the things that worries me the most. Uh, and actually, you know, I mean, it goes to show you how uh, just despicable not only our media is, but the elites who want to fixate on these cultural neo-Marxist kinds of behavior. Where the effect of of the kinds of things that you hear about racism incessantly, nonstop, right? About America's evil country, it undermines morale. Not only does it undermine morale, it distracts us as well. And so you don't even hear any of these conversations. Everything you're telling me is is, is almost brand new because we're so fixated on these ridiculous topics and conversations mostly focusing around how you know evil america is and the founding fathers and the 1619 project and all that stuff and as you referenced earlier today the rome was defeated from within when you have this combination of polarization of fermenting hatred for your own country within a heterogeneous society particularly it's even more dangerous where people don't have a lot of connections as it is right it's just the only connection we have is is abiding by this by the laws of this country and having respect for it, because we all come from different places and have different religions and all that. And it, it's not a surprise that we've been caught flat-footed while China and Russia are maniacally focused on achieving supremacy in, in the field of these uh, nuclear weapons and these incredibly sophisticated armaments that can that are much be- bigger and better than ours. It, it's really troubling. And whereas before, as, as we kind of Briefly touched on, you know, the whole Sputnik thing really galvanized us to you know, unite and, and have a have a singular focus on maintaining the the hegemony of the United States and being, a, you know, a, a shining beacon to the whole world and maintaining the capitalist order, the freedom around the world, protecting the Western world from communism, and all that. Now it's I don't even know what can galvanize us to um, shift our focus to focus on these external threats. And it's you're right. It's very troubling. So I think we should probably end it on this note. Do you see any progress? Are you optimistic at all about our uh, ability to counteract these problems that can just wipe us out? Because as as we mentioned before, you know, it's not only that the threat of them actually bombing us. If China is that much more powerful than us from a military standpoint, uh, how the hell will we ever say, no, 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 you can't, you can't invade Taiwan. We're going to stop that. They're going to say no go ahead and stop us, see what happens, right? Do you see anything changing that front? Maybe, you know, obviously we're in the Biden administration now, but maybe within Congress or within people's mentalities. uh, Are are you hopeful about that at all?
0: Well, I'm of two minds. You know, as a historian looking across the broad of history, uh, I'm not hopeful for us. Uh, We we Civilizations based on pre-political and pre-economic systems, pre-political systems anyway, have few and far between. Most of mankind has lived under tyrannies. uh, And there's a reason for that. Because being free is hard. It's hard work to have a, a, a free society. You have to constantly be engaged in politics. You have to know what's going on. You have to watch government like a hawk, you know? You have to know that you are the boss. You're not a subject, you are the boss as a citizen. And you've got to uphold that responsibility. And our uh, Democratic Athens was like that, Republican Rome was like that, and the founders envisioned the American people as being like that. Our constitutional republic was crafted for that kind of person that was going to be constantly engaged. And, uh, you know, we're sort of, uh, We've had a, a as, free, as a free system, we've had a good run. 200 years, that's, that's usually about as long as, uh, as free systems last in, in history before a totalitarian system or a tyranny knocks them off. On the other hand, we try to end on a more positive note, because there is, there is some reason for being positive. Both, uh, you know, the founders foresaw the internal crisis that we face today. That's why we have a Second Amendment. You know, uh, I don't know if you've ever read the Federalist Papers. I reread them again recently. It's worth going through the Federalist Papers, you know, which where Hampton and Madison Monroe are trying to convince the Anti-Federalists that we need a centralized government in Washington. And they make argument after argument as to why the centralized government in Washington will not become a tyranny. You know, most of the people didn't want that. They said, we just fought an American Revolution to get rid of a monarchy. And now you're setting up another possibility for a centralized system. Well, the reason it's interesting to read the federalist papers is to see how, you know, we've arrived at this place where almost all the safeguards that were described by these founders have failed, you know, over, over, over time, they've gone away. And we're sort of down to the last safeguard. This is the people and their Second Amendment rights. Uh, uh, you know, they were the, supposed to be the last bastion against the rise of tyranny. And uh, I, we're so far away from, from, from the way the system was envisioned by the founders working because government was supposed to be most powerful at the local. And then the state government would matter less. Okay? But it would be more powerful than the federal government. The federal government was supposed to be least important in people's lives. And clearly what we have today is an imperial system. It's like the new Rome. You know? That's why we're so passionate about who pre- the president is. You know The president is an emperor. You know, in effect, the president has become an emperor. And uh, uh, we even all, oftentimes attribute almost godlike powers to uh, uh, and hero worship to our presidents, which is inappropriate to a a constitutional republic because of the power that is wielded by the White House, by the bureaucracy. But what is the hopeful part that I'm talking about? I look at uh, what happened to the Soviet Union. You know, it was the most sophisticated, most powerful, totalitarian tyranny in history. The leaders of the Soviet Union were brilliant tyrants. They had, they had worked out tyranny to a science. Uh, they had incredible, awesome instruments of oppression at their disposal for maintaining the Soviet Union. Right down to psychiatric hospitals for, for political dissidents. Uh, uh, and yet, when people lost faith in communism, when the people lost faith in communism, the whole system fell in a relatively short time, about about 18. Months, with very little, relatively little bloodshed. There was some bloodshed, but right. it was relatively little bloodshed. Now, you know, you look at Biden and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. You know, these people are are pikers. I mean, they're you know these people that, as the leaders of the or or the head of the tech oligarchs. All these people are fools compared to what was in charge of the Soviet Union. You know, these people have the illusion that they're on the verge of establishing a long-lasting, totalitarian system over us because they control the leaders of power in Washington. The FBI, the IRS, you know, they're trying to get control of the military. But they don't understand that the first paragraph, the Declaration of Independence, is actually right. It's not just an eloquent statement, it's literally true. When a nation only exists by the consent of the government, when a nation a nation really it isn't a bureaucracy, you know, it isn't the CIA and the FBI, and it isn't the Congress. The nation exists in the imagination of the people. The people grant it legitimacy through their co- common consent because they believe in the system. When when the system loses legitimacy, and people cease to believe in that system anymore. You know?
3: The only way to hold it together is by force. And they don't
0: have the resources or the capability. I think that that uh, Americans can liberate themselves if they have the courage to do it by organizing the way we did before the first American revolution. And we can have a peaceful second American revolution just by saying no. No, we're not going to let you brainwash our kids to critical race theory. If I have to, I'm going to bring them up home and have them and school them at home or just keep them out of school altogether and have them learn a trade or something, you know, instead of the useless things that get taught. No, you're not taking my funds. No, I'm not going to just accept that these elections that, that you're rigging all the time are free and fair elections. I want guarantees of that. And no, I'm not paying my taxes, you know, until you respect the rule of law and, and meet these demands. They can't put 80 million Trump voters in jail If people organize, you know? There's a videotape of, of Ceausescu when he suddenly realized he'd lost power in Romania. He was in the middle of one of his six-hour speeches, you know, to uh, a group of, of people. Usually people were, were loyalists, you know, that were out there listening to him, And people started saying no to Ceausescu, that they weren't going to do what he was saying. And the look on his face, you can just, just see there's this moment of cognitive dissonance and then on their awareness that this was it, the revolution had come. Two weeks later, Ceausescu was dead and Romania was free. That was one of the places there was, where there was some bloodshed because the securitate, you know, uh, uh, put up a, a, a last ditch fight for the people, but the people took them down. You know, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, uh, I, I, I don't think, you know, I don't think that the rank and file of our military is going to fire on the American people. I don't. Uh, most of them are conservatives. I don't think they're going to fire on their parents and their grandparents and their friends. You know. Uh, you know. I think as soon as the uh, Pelosi's and the Schumer's and the Bidens, you know, demand that the military use force, you know, to enforce their totalitarian rule, it will be over for them. Uh, and that and that and that their 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 hold on power is extremely fragile. So are the American people eagles? Which is what they're supposed to be. That's what the founders envisioned—that we would be free and independent and uh, and uh, fiercely protective of our rights. Or have we become enough of us sheep? And are there not enough eagles left, you know, to uh, to make America
3: again what it what it used to be? Absolutely. So I, I,
2: where I agree with you on is
3: that these aren't the people who are responsible for the country's. Bills for um, weakening it.
2: These aren't, a, this isn't like some sort of like overwhelming, uh, you know, evil geniuses that are this, you know, formidable force, uh, they,
0: they, you know. One of, the, one of the things that makes us sort of the signs of revolution, you know, right for revolution, they are a corrupt aristocracy that they're sort of like a, like the senators who followed Nero, you know, mm-hmm. and thought they were so far above the people you know, that they completely forgot about the people to the extent that, 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 that Nero was willing to burn Rome and, uh, you know, and fiddle while it burned because uh, he had a vision of high art that the people couldn't possibly understand. You know, uh, they were superior to the people and all the rest. Or well, like the corrupt French aristocracy, the Marquis de Sade, uh, you know, who had forgotten that ultimately they're supposed to not only serve the people, but their power and, and, the, and what makes a nation run. It's the people and the economy and all of that. You know, these things you were talking about before, there's uh, critical race theory, and, uh, uh, this elitist view of the United States as, uh, as, uh, as, as an evil empire, okay? Uh, is the kind of a thing that a corrupt aristocracy, it's not connected to reality. Uh, to use an example, this notion that, uh, that instead of two biological sexes, there's 26 different genders. I think it's 72. Yeah, yeah pardon?
2: Seventy-two, I believe.
0: I, I think. Okay, in now, so the, now, yeah. And public policy should be based on on that gender theory yeah. instead of the fact of biological, or the fact, or the idea that we're all going to die in twelve years because of climate. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, you know, uh, you know, is or the idea that we are uh, that the biggest threat to this country is white supremacy. Right, right. All of these things are completely disconnected from reality. This is a, a corrupt aristocracy that lives in this little bubble. They all have these views, but it's completely disconnected from reality, and and and, and it's a bubble that's just waiting to be popped.
2: You know? Thank God we have we have alternative voices now, even though you know the censorship is a big issue. But um, over time, these there's going to be more and more alternative voices that, um, like yourself, like myself, like others, we're we're going to be able to pierce that veneer. Uh, you know, we're seeing in the in the written house situation now, where I've had liberal friends who literally got the exact. Uh, Wrong description about the situation from the the media. Um, Literally couldn't be further from the truth, you know. Um, But but you see this with everything as as you mentioned, and now you're seeing the 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 counteraction from individuals with this whole crisis on inflation, and with uh, you know you see their their incessant proposals on and, and actions in order to put us onto a green new deal future blow up in their faces to a certain extent because now oil is up so much because of the, how much of the supply that they are trying to shut off. Uh, and so gasoline prices rise and people revolt that way as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that is one one hopeful aspect. I don't think people are going to um, put up with this much longer. Um, I thought that before, but I think a lot of people are starting to wake yeah, up. And it's, it doesn't have to be a left-right thing, but, you know, yeah. it's um, it, it sh- there's enough dishonest people in Congress in various levers of power, and people are
3: starting to see that, I think.
0: And the and the bureaucracy okay. uh, is becoming more and more corrupt and more and more incompetent. They're just not competent to run this complicated system, and uh, uh, and that's what usually happens with uh, central planning aristocracies. Mm-hmm. they no so divorced from reality. They don't even do the fundamentals of governing well, you know. And uh, and, the, and and the people again going back to the Declaration of Independence. Uh, again, there's so much truth in that the people are willing to put up with great suffering and great hardship for a long period of time because they are naturally conservative and reluctant to to part ways with institutions you know that, that have been long established but at some point it becomes intolerable and uh, and, and it becomes and when it when it looks like a tyranny that doesn't care about the fate of the people or what happens to them and uh, and we're just constantly suffering to sustain the lifestyles and to sustain the illusions of this corrupt aristocracy that lives in a bubble, then it's time to alter or abolish it, you know, and establish new government in such forms as provides for the happiness of the of, of, of the people. And we're sort of there, you know, uh, when, you, when you listen to what the elites say to us on television about what this country is supposed to be like and everything. It has no connection with what average Americans believe. They can't keep getting away with that, or at least they can't keep getting away with it. If most of us, or enough of us are still eagles. It Doesn't even have to be a majority. You know, the American people won the American Revolution with only 30 percent of the population, 33 percent of the population. The third were Tories, third were indifferent, and only in a third were revolutionaries. Uh, so a determined minority can, uh, you know, can recapture the country.
2: Dr. Peter Pry, thank you so much for being with me. Where can people find find you and uh,
0: learn more about your work? Well, um I I recommend my books, Blackout Warfare is my latest. The one before that was The Power and the Light. Uh you know, and uh, I'm all over the I do a lot of interviews, so it's easy easy to Google my name.
2: Excellent. Well I'm, we'll we'll put the link to those uh to those titles in the in the podcast as well so people can find you. Thanks again for being with me. Really appreciate it. It was an amazing session.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. I greatly appreciate it and I appreciate your Uh, indulging me by you know the many reschedulings we had to go through absolutely thank you if
3: you enjoyed
2: our show please click subscribe to stay up to date with our youtube channel and podcast and give us a five-star rating on apple Podcasts so that we can keep delivering guys some great content thanks for listening and we will be back next week